Well, good to be with you guys. We're going to be in Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 30. So if you want to get your Bibles ready, your, your app ready, that's the text we're going to be in today. But let's go ahead and pray and give our time to the Lord this morning. Father God, we just thank you for your word, Lord. We're thankful that even on a cold day, Lord, that we're able to gather, Lord, together as the body of Christ to uh, be in fellowship, Lord, to be encouraged, to serve one another, to spur each other on to, to good works. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, as we're here today, that you would uh, open up our hearts and minds to your word. Lord, we pray just that you'd speak to us, Lord. We're so desperate, Lord, in need to be hearing from you, Lord, to live this life and to have um, just fulfillment and meaning, Lord, apart from you. The scripture says that we are we are nothing, Lord, but in you, Lord, we're everything that you've called us to be. And so, Lord, we, we just thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray that you'd bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good to be with you guys. Um, as I was praying, the Lord led me to just the book of Luke, and I'm excited to, to read and to share um, what the Lord's kind of put on my heart. Um, as we all know, it's interesting times that we're living in, isn't it? It's crazy what is going on in our world, and if we're not too careful, we can find ourselves just looking around the world and reading what people say and um, just kind of flipping through our phone, and we can find ourselves just wanting to know what everyone else thinks and what everyone else is doing, and it can be a reminder um, just how this world is falling apart. And some of you might know, that's encouraging, Josh. Um, But the reminder is, though, that we know Jesus. And those that know Jesus know that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And it's just a reminder in this world and time that we're living in is that we need to be putting our focus and our attention to Jesus. Jesus is always saying in his words to come, to come and follow me. And so as we look at our text today, there's three questions that are going to be tied into the section that we're looking in today. The three questions that we're going to look at are this, is how do we come to Jesus? What is the cost to follow Jesus? And why should we come to Jesus? Now, by definition, a disciple can be described as a student, a learner, or a follower. And so in the context, before we just jump into our section, it's important to know what's going on. Jesus is speaking to a large group of people. He has his disciples there. There's just random bystanders there. There's, we're going to see that there's women there with children. There's, there's a mixed group of people that Jesus is speaking to. And before we get into our particular text, it's important to note that Jesus has just given a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And in the parable, Jesus, because there's people there that are very proud and um, think very highly of themselves, he gives this parable of a Pharisee and tax collector. And if you know anything about Pharisees is that they were very zealous for the law, but at times they were very misguided in thinking that um, their status in the community, their, their knowledge of maybe the Old Testament or the Torah made them better than everyone else. And we know that Jesus wasn't fond of people misrepresenting him or his word. 
And so you have the Pharisees there, and he gives this illustration of a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the Pharisee is very proud of himself, and he is very proud of himself in the sense that he kind of condemns the tax collector. And he says, I'm very, um, I'm very proud, you know, I'm not like all the idolaters and the adulterers. And he's like, I'm not even like this tax collector here. But in an ironic twist, the tax collector says, Lord, be gracious to me because I am a sinner. And Jesus is making the point here And he says that I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And so that's the scene that we're kind of coming into as we get into our text. So let's read Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. It says, Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as little children will by no means enter it. And so if we look at verse 16, we see Jesus say, Let the little children come to me. And I'm sure this is familiar to all of us, because we've heard Jesus say that. And we often get this picture of all the, the little children coming to Jesus. But it's important to note that he is talking initially about babies, or in other words, infants. And since infant mortality was high during this time, the picture here is of this. We have peasant women, many of whose babies probably would be dead within the first year, fearfully bringing their babies to Jesus so that he could touch them. Now, we know throughout the scriptures that Jesus' touch has healed others. He's also been able to raise people from the dead. And so this is the picture in the scene that's going on is these, these women are bringing their babies for Jesus to touch. And so, again, our first lesson that we're going to learn here is that infant babies, well, what are they? They're dependent. And so again, we ask the question, well, how are we to come to Jesus? We are to come to Jesus as dependent people. Notice the disciples begin to rebuke those who bring their infants to Jesus. And this is a lesson that Jesus is going to teach the disciples it's that depending on Jesus is crucial to discipleship. The disciples want to determine who can come to Jesus. They're wanting to re regulate who has access to Jesus. And Jesus is going to make the point, bring the children to me or bring the babies to me. Their resistance shows that the disciples thought that the infants were not important. In other words, they thought that the babies were time wasters for Jesus. There's other more important things that Jesus could be doing. And since maybe the disciples were, were ministering with Jesus, maybe they thought that the babies would be time wasters to them. And it's important to catch this because in this scene that we're in, there's different people 
with different social statuses. So in other words, the babies have no merit or achievement, something very much on the mind of the rich ruler who we're going to read about next, and disciples in the later scenes, and also the Pharisee in the previous parable that I just talked about. The infants are models of how salvation is to be received. And this is a reminder, you guys, that dependent people are needy people. And again, humility is going to be a mark of a disciple of God, or it should be. Humility, by definition, is being humble, but it can also mean an act of submission. In my mind, as I was, I was reading about this, I instantly was brought to uh, mixed martial arts. Have you guys uh, seen a submission in mixed martial arts? Anyone? Yeah, oh, thanks. I've got one person. Well, let me try to explain it to you. If you get submitted in, in mixed martial arts, usually it's um, somebody who has his, it can be his, his arm around your neck, or in, in some cases, it can be their leg around your neck. And at, at some point, you're, you're basically being what is called choked out. You're, you're having to tap so that you, you know, you got someone's arm around your neck and you're like, and at the very last point before you go to sleep, <laughs> you have to tap or you're, gonna, you're not going to be conscious for a while. And so this act of, of being submitted When you're being submitted, there's no part of you that is like, I'm doing pretty good right now. Or or this this idea of that you being kind of proud of yourself, you're really at the mercy of the person that is about to submit you. You know, um, we have some people here in our church who are into mixed martial arts, and uh, I was going to do a live demonstration, you know, have somebody show us a, you know, I was like, this is great, this will be a live demonstration like illustration. We can have somebody choke somebody out during church. And, but then, you know, I was thinking, this isn't a dojo. And then I was thinking, well, would Pastor Jared like that? And then I was like, ah. Uh. And then this thought did come, well, Pastor Jared isn't going to be here today. And <laughs> no, but I decided not to do it. But the disciples are to enable rather than to hinder people from coming to Jesus and receiving the blessings of a gospel. So in verse 17, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. So this is important to catch, guys. I was reading this uh, from a Luke uh, exegetical exegetical commentary, and I found this very interesting. It said, Jesus does not say that we are to become like little children. And he does not refer to some inherent quality in children, such as their imagined receptivity or humility, trustfulness, lack of self-consciousness, transparency, hopefulness, openness to the future, simplicity, freshness, excitement, or any other idealized quality that commentators often attribute to children. None of these virtues were associated with children in the first century culture, and they reflect a contemporary sentimental view of children. And so what's the point here is when we're thinking about the babies, you know, they were being dependent upon 
you know, their mothers, right? And so Jesus is saying, to be a disciple of mine, you have to be dependent like a baby. Now, we often think of, you know, Jesus saying, let the little children come to me, and we, we can maybe have this idea that the children are bringing this quality that makes them able to come to Jesus. No, that's not what's going on here. You know, I think we often get the picture of Jesus with, you know, all the children. Maybe he has a children over his shoulders, and he has a train of kids behind him, and he's like leading them in the Macarena, you know? It's like, you know, Makatu, Makatri, Macarena. It's like, that's, that's not what was going on here. It wasn't that they were bringing anything. It was that they were totally dependent as babies, and that's what Jesus is making the point here, is that you have to be dependent to be a disciple of mine. Independency is a mark of a disciple. And as I was thinking about this, I was really being challenged, I think, and I was thinking about the men of our church. And I think the men, especially me, is we need to be modeling this type of dependency and humility. You know, if, if you're not married, maybe you work to your coworkers, to your family, to your children. When they see you, are they seeing somebody that is dependent upon Jesus? I think, in speaking, just being, being a guy and a husband and as a father, I think sometimes we, um, we can pretend like we need to have all the answers. And if there's a problem, we want to solve it. And we, we can, or at least I can, and sometimes maybe rely on my own ability when, when problems arise or there's a crisis. And I've been challenged, you know, am I communicating that to my family that we need to be dependent upon Jesus? We need to be needy. You know, or is my first reaction, how can I solve this? Or is it, Jesus, how can you lead me to solve this? And it was an encouragement because I think we as men and men of maybe families, homes, or maybe you have a job where you have influence, you know, are you modeling that your dependency is upon the Lord? And so one, we ask the question, how do we come to Jesus? We need to be dependent. We need to be needy and humble. But the next question that we have in our study is, what is the cost of discipleship? So continue reading with me. Verse 18 says, Now a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And note that he has just heard Jesus say, Whoever does not receive the reign of God as a little child will not enter it. So he's just heard that. And the ruler's question should be understood as this way, because we're going to see a little bit about this guy's character and how he really thought he was a lot better than everyone else. But his response should be taken as this, good teacher, what will it take for someone like me to inherit eternal life? So verse 19 says that, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And Jesus deflects the idle flattery with the statement, no one is good except one. The ruler may have expected Jesus to reciprocate by calling him good, but Jesus makes clear that one may not use the word good casually. His first remarks alludes to the first commandment to have no other God before the one God, which directs the rich 
ruler to the source of what he seeks. By pointing beyond any form of moral goodness to God himself, Jesus reprises the point of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Entrance into God's reign only comes through a miracle of God's grace. It cannot be earned. It can only be accepted with humility and faith. And so verse 20, it says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And so if you notice these commandments, he gives five, and they all have to do with people. All those commandments he just said have to do with people. Now, if you remember in the the book of Luke, there was another man who asked Jesus about getting into heaven or eternal life. And Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 27 says this, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him saying, Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law and what is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Notice that passage directs people to love God and then others. And so again, as we're kind of taking some observations here, we need to note that the rich young ruler has selfish intention to his question about eternal life. You know, maybe he thought that he was this good guy and that he kept the law, but really Jesus is going to expose him. Verse 21 says, and he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. We see here he has convinced himself that he is upright. There is this belief that he can know where he stands with God according to his achievements, maybe on the obedience scale. And he thinks he's up to it. Verse 26 says, so when Jesus heard these things, he said, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful for he was very rich. And so what happens here is that Jesus asked the rich young ruler to part with his possessions. The rich man does not think it's worth the sacrifice because he believes he has so much to give up. Jesus lays open this ruler's soul and exposes the truth that he does not love God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so today, again, we ask some questions. What is the cost of discipleship? And the answer here, quite simply, is your life. I've got some scripture references. Luke chapter 14 Verses 26 and 27, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, and yes, and his own life, and he cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke 9, 23 says, And then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, he... Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Last one, Luke 16, 13. No servant can serve two masters, 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded that the Holy Spirit is at work in our hearts and lives to bring things up that maybe have taken the position of God. With the rich young ruler, it's his possessions, his wealth, maybe his status he was unwilling to part with. And it was a reminder that there is a cost to following Jesus. I've been hearing this phrase more and more recently from unbelievers even. It's this cost that I had a come to Jesus moment. Have you guys heard that? I had a come to Jesus moment. You know, usually when people are saying that, I've noticed that they're not necessarily believers. And it's usually a moment maybe in their life where they're at a breaking point. You know, maybe there's a a tough decision to be made and they're at a crisis and they have this come to Jesus moment, they say. And it's a reminder that discipleship of Jesus isn't just a one-time thing. It's not just a one-time crisis. It's a life committed to following Jesus. There's a passage in Luke where Jesus' mother and his brothers come to him, and the disciples come to tell Jesus, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are here, and this is what Jesus tells them. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Wow. And Jesus always ties, I'm sorry, Jesus always ties following him to to not just hearing it, but doing it as well. There's always an action tied to a believer of Jesus. It's not just raising your hand at church. It's not just growing up in a Christian home and having parents that are Christians. It's a personal decision that you make that you're identifying yourself with a believer of Jesus and that you're going to follow him, which requires action. The Holy Spirit is faithful to bring up the necessary things needed for for supreme use for God's kingdom. I think of Luke 12, 34, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Isn't that the truth? You know, with the rich young ruler, his treasure was in his things. His heart was tied up in what he had. And even for us as believers, those that, that know Jesus, God is faithful to sanctify us, isn't he? To do that pruning. In, in John chapter 15, the Lord talks about pruning us so that we can bear more fruit. And what that, what that inevitably is, is the Holy Spirit making us more and more like Jesus. And and sometimes it's by Jesus correcting us, isn't it? It's showing us the areas that we need to grow in so that we can be more like him and live a fruitful life. How many of you guys are coffee drinkers? A lot of hands. How many of you are coffee drinkers that like tea? Okay, you can put your hand down. You don't count. No. I'm just kidding. Um, 
I'm, I'm a big coffee, coffee fan, um, probably more than I should be. But I was thinking about it as this week I was making my, my coffee. You know, we got the, we got all options. If you want to come over and have coffee, we'd love to, to have coffee with you. But we have like the Nespresso deal. We have pour over. We have a coffee maker. But as this particular day, I was doing the pour over. So I had the beans, right? And this, this, this ministered to me. Hopefully it translates. So we had the, the coffee beans, right? This, the regular beans. And then there's a process of putting the beans through the grinders to their ground, right? So you have the beans. You put them in the grinder. And then you have your ground beans. And what I do is we have the, the pour over method, right? So you get the filter. You put the grounds into the filter. And then what's the device that you pour the water through? I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, somebody hit me. What? The dripper? The dripper, okay. Okay, so you have the, the coffee beans, you grind them, you put them in the filter, you put them in the dripper, and then what happens? You have the hot water, and then you pour the hot water into the filter, ground beans, dripper, and then the water comes through, and then the coffee comes out, and it's glorious, right? <laughs> now, the point I'm trying to get at is like, in a sense, we're the coffee beans, Right? God is going to bring that correction. He's going to sanctify us. And in a way, in a weird way, God's going to grind us up. Why? So that we can be fruitful or we can get the most out of our lives and be more like Jesus. Now, if we're being honest with ourselves, some, some of us, we, we don't like the process of being ground up, meaning this, we don't like when God is bringing that correction and there can be a tendency for us to want to avoid it. But the picture here, right, is, is if we just say, hey, Lord, I don't want you to sanctify us. I don't want you to prune us. What ends up happening is as we step back, it's like we're those coffee beans, right? And then imagine this. You have the coffee beans, and then you put it into the filter, and then you put it into the dripper, and then you get the hot water, and then you pour it over, what ends up happening is you have this liquid that isn't coffee. It's kind of not really water. It's this like murky brown water, and then you go to drink it, and you're like, what am I drinking? It's not coffee. It's not water. It's like water, you know? It's like not what it was intended to be. And the point I'm trying to make is, is it's not this message that God is wanting to sanctify us. He's a mean God. It's God loves us so much and he wants our lives to be so fruitful and so rewarding. He brings that pruning process, right? He brings that correction. He brings the grinding, so to speak. And if we're being honest, sometimes we don't like that process of the work that the Lord wants to do. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so again, our reminders from the questions we asked earlier is how do we come to Jesus? Well, we come needing to be dependent upon him. What is the cost? 
our life surrendered to him. And again, the last question today that we're going to ask is, why should we come to him? Verses 24 through 26, it says, And when Jesus saw that he became very sorrowful, he said, How hard is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it says, well, then who can be saved? And so Jesus gives the picture of a camel going through the eye of the needle. And the eye of the needle is the smallest opening imaginable. And the camel was the largest animal during this time in Palestine. And they are startled because of the image that it conveys is that it's all but impossible for the rich to be saved. And so verses 27, but he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And so it's interesting, as we kind of take a look at that, you might read that, and is Jesus saying that rich people have no chance into getting into the kingdom of heaven? You know, you might read that and say, that's what he said, and then he says this later that, you know, the things which are possible with men are possible with God. So God's saying, you could re- like read it this way. God's saying the rich basically have no chance in getting into heaven, but with God all things are possible, which would be true. And you know, if you, you read the scriptures, you know that there's rich and affluent people who love the Lord and love God, and we know that they're in heaven. I think what is going on here, and the idea that's being communicated is when the rich young ruler says, what shall I do in verse 18? And he makes the statement, all things I have kept, verse 21. He assumes that entering the kingdom of heaven is something that he can do by his own and therefore is unbabylike. He is self-sufficient. And this is a reminder that salvation for humans is only possible with God. The bystanders assume someone rich must be favored by God. And so the question is, if rich are excluded, who can be saved? And again, it's a reminder in the theme and context of what we're reading today. The problem isn't a rich problem. It's not a money problem. It's a problem of pride. You can't be saved by your own efforts. It's by grace alone. It's by faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 28 says, Then Peter said, See, we have left all and followed you. And so he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who shall not receive many times more in the present time and in the age to come eternal life. And so Peter asked this question, See, we have left all and followed you. I guess it's not a question, it's more of a statement. And so we ask ourselves the question, well, why should I come? And the answer is, is that Jesus is our reward. Now, some, some commentators believe that when Jesus says, who shall not receive many more times over in the life to come, he's actually referring to the Christian family. So the idea or thought is if people have left their family or lo- their loved ones and made it a choice to live for Jesus, that God will bring that Christian family to replace them. And I think we all would would agree that's true. 
You know, this idea that you may lose biological family, but you're given your earthly Christian family. But the promise really that Jesus is saying is that I'm your reward. And then there's going to be a reward in, in me, right, in knowing Jesus, and then there's going to be a reward to come, eternal life. And it's important to be reminded that Jesus is our reward because we can forget that. We can get discouraged. We talked about it earlier in the message today. Our world is falling apart and it's decaying and it can be discouraging at times as we look around and see what's going on and forget that Jesus is our reward. We need to know that the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're all going to stand before the Lord one day and he will be our judge. And either, you know, we're going to be judged for our sin or God's blood is going to cover us. And so there's two groups here. And I'm hoping that we're all in the group where Jesus is going to be our judge and he's going to cover us with himself. But it's a reminder that when we live our life, you guys, that Jesus is our reward. And in that reward, in that sanctification process of God <laughs> pruning us, grinding us, reminding us that, that we're being sanctified daily is we live that rewarded life. It's the best life that we can have because it's attached to Jesus. He's our reward. And in our reward, we live this rewarded life as Jesus is conforming us, sanctifying us more into his image. We're, we're living these fulfilled lives that have joy, meaning, and purpose. And it's no other way to live. The world wants to tell us that if you serve yourself, if you fulfill the, the lust of your flesh, that's a satisfying life. But we know that that's a lie from Satan. The fulfillment comes from a life that is following Jesus, that is committed to following Jesus, that, that even though we're sinners and we blow it at times, that God's grace makes us want to be like him even if we're not perfect. We come to a perfect God who covers our sins. It's interesting to note that these people that we read about in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, you know, these people that really knew Jesus, toward the end of their life, they don't say things like, man, I really wish I would have just done my own thing. I really wish I would have just satisfied my flesh and done what I wanted to do. These people that really knew Jesus and who made it their life to know that Jesus was their reward and lived a life that was fulfilling and rewarding. The things that they talk about God is, I ran the good race, I fought the good fight. You know, it was all worth it to them because Jesus was their prize. Their life was transformed by Jesus and in that they lived these lives that had just such great meaning and purpose. They They couldn't have done anything else but followed Jesus. You know, church history tells us that most of the disciples died for their faith. They were crucified, some upside down. The, the church history tells us that maybe even some of them were burned to death. 
what kind of person would continue walking with Jesus knowing that death unless they really believed that Jesus was their reward? They were committed to following Jesus. They were dependent upon Jesus. They had counted the cost of Jesus. And at the end, why did they follow Jesus? Well, they followed Jesus because he was the reward. I want to end with this. Maybe you've heard this. It's the story and life of William Borden. In 1904, William Borden graduated from a Chicago high school as heir to the Borden Dairy Estate. He was already a millionaire. For his high school graduation present, his parents gave him a trip around the world. And as the young man traveled through Asia, the Middle East, and Europe, he felt a growing burden for the world's hurting people. Finally, Borden wrote home to say, I'm going to give my life to prepare for the mission field. And at the same time, he wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves. Indeed, Borden held nothing back. During his college years at Yale University, he became a pillar in the Christian community. One entry in his personal journal that defined the source of his spiritual strength, simply said, say no to self and yes to Jesus every time. During his first trimester at, at, trimester, during his first semester at Yale, my wife's pregnant, that's, during his first semester at Yale, Borden started a small prayer group that would transform campus life. This little group gave birth to a moment that spread across the campus. By the end of the first year, 150 freshmen were meeting weekly for Bible study and prayer. By the time Borden was a senior, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in such groups. Borden also strategized with his fellow Christians to make sure every student on campus heard the gospel And he was often seen ministering to the downtrodden in the streets of New Haven. But his real passion was missions. Once he narrowed his missionary call to the Kanzu people in China, Borden never wavered. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden wrote two more words in the back of his Bible, no retreats. In keeping with the commitment, Borden turned down several high-paying job offers enrolling in seminary instead. Upon graduating, he immediately went to Egypt to learn Arabic because of his intent to work with Muslims in China. While in Egypt, he contracted spinal meningitis, and within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible, next to no reserves, no retreats, the words scribbled in his Bible, no regrets. And as we think back to our study, it's just a reminder, this man, William Borden, you know, no, no reserves, no retreats, no regrets. Some might say, well, maybe it was a waste of his life. You know, he spent all this time and resource into 
wanting to be a missionary. He didn't even last a couple weeks on the mission field and has died, and he died. But that's the point I'm trying to make, you guys, is his life was dedicated for Jesus. Jesus was his reward, and his life was fulfilling, even though God took him home early. The people around him saw his life, and they were blown away. Why? Because... He was dependent upon God. He had counted the cost, and Jesus was his reward. And his life had an impact on others. And as we close here today, the reminder is for us, too, that God still has us here in this world. He still wants to use our life, and our purpose is to glorify Jesus. Amen? Well, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll take communion together corporately. Father, Lord, we we humbly, Lord, just are reminded of who you are. Lord, we, we fail so, so short at times. And we're reminded, Lord, that you're our reward, Lord. You're the reason, Lord, that that we're here. The scriptures say that, Lord, in you that we live, we move, and we have our being. And there's times, I even confess, Lord, that our eyes can get off our reward. Lord, it can get around other things, Lord. Issues, problems, crises. And we're reminded, Lord, today how, how worthy you are to be served. And Lord, I think if there's anyone listening or here today and maybe they've had that moment, we talked about it, that come to Jesus moment where they've come and they've heard, but they haven't responded, they haven't acted. It's been a walk away from Jesus sad because they're unwilling to relinquish control to their life. Lord, we just pray, Lord, in the quietness of their heart that they'd say, Lord, I need you. And that they'd follow you, Lord, and that their lives would be transformed by the gospel by you. And for some of us, Lord, that maybe we are believers, and it's just been a time of where maybe we've doubted, and we've questioned, and we've thought, is this all worth it? Lord, we pray that you'd remind us, Lord, just of how amazing, Lord, you are. And the scriptures are true, Lord. We will stand before you. And Lord, give us the grace, Lord, when we're weary and tired to to keep going, Lord, to look to you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. And continue, Lord, to redeem, Lord, uh, our precious life for your glory and your kingdom. Lord, I pray for all of us here today that we'd be reminded, Lord, just of your great love for us and that we continue just to walk in what you have for us, Lord. Empower us, Lord, by your spirit. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna take communion together. So if you guys have the elements, I encourage you to to get them out. The bread is in the cup here. And we're reminded, communion is a, It's a time as believers that we can come and we're reminded of 
of who God is, the greatness of God, and the sacrifice that he made for us. And in that, there is the, the bread, and it represents Jesus' life. And so as we pray, um, Lord, we're reminded, Lord, of the bread. Lord, we remember, Lord, in your word that you said that you are the bread of life, Lord. And we think of how bread gives our body nourishment, Lord, it, it brings us substance. Lord, we're reminded of your body, Lord, that was, that was given up, that was offered. And so, Lord, we take a moment, Lord, as we, we eat the bread, we're reminded of your body, Lord, that was given for us. Would you guys, would you guys partake with me? And as we have the cup in our hand too, we're reminded of Jesus' blood and how he was crucified and he died for us. And the picture of the this juice here is a reminder of, of the blood of Jesus that, that was spilt for us sinners, Lord. And so, Lord, we... We thank you, Lord, just for who you are. And you said, as you spoke to the disciples and they were taking communion, bread and wine, and you said, do this in remembrance of me. And Father, we think of your blood and of you just giving your life for us, Lord. We, we just say thank you, Lord. And we want to take time just to, just to quiet our hearts and to process, Lord, that that you would die for us, Lord, just us sinners, and that you would hang for us, and that three days later you would rise again, and that you showed your great love for us, Lord, by giving it. And so as we take together, Lord, we're thinking of you, Lord, and we think of your blood. Would you guys partake with me? Thank you, Lord, and we're going to invite the worship team up, but let's pray. Lord, we, we just thank you for, again, this time as believers that we can come together. We can open your word, Lord. We can worship. We can take communion together. We can fellowship as a body. Lord, we, we just say thank you, Lord. We think of our pastor and his family, Lord. We pray for grace upon them as they're they're healing, Lord. We, we miss them, but we commit them to you, Lord, and just we just pray, Lord, that they'd be feeling um, just your grace now. Anyone else that is sick, Lord, we just pray just for encouragement to them. We know the enemy wants to come in and discourage people when they're just not feeling well and sick, but we just pray, Lord, that your spirit would remind them that you're with them and bring hope and bring the reality that, that you're with us, Lord. And so we pray for all those that you would um, heal them, Lord. And Lord, as we close out our service and have time to worship you, we just, we just pray that our eyes would be continually focused on our great reward, Jesus Christ, Lord.